Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello, and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling Maybelline's Brave Together initiative into real-life conversations to help normalize the discussion around mental health and provide support to anyone who might be struggling or know someone that is. Today, I am so excited to be joined by filmmaker and mental health advocate, Elise Fox. Elise is the founder of Produced by Girls, a multimedia platform dedicated to showcasing current and upcoming female artists and Sad Girls Club, an organization committed to destigmatizing mental illness for women and girls. Welcome, Elise. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to talk to you too. I feel like we've been Instagram friends forever. I know. I've been following you for such a long time. And so it's going to be great to get into your full story today. Your organization, Sad Girls Club, has done so many great things helping to change the conversation around mental health. And I know that the inspiration for it came from the film you made called Conversations with Friends. Tell us a little bit about the impact making that film had on your life and your work. It was like when I launched conversations with friends, the intention was never to start a nonprofit or to even have this mental health movement, but I'm really excited that it happened. It honestly was my way of telling my friends and family that I wasn't okay. And I had received treatment prior to releasing the film. And I wanted my family to know, even after that treatment, like this doesn't just go away. Depression doesn't go away. So my life pretty much did a 180 once I released the film and people not only liked the video, but they saw themselves in my story and within the video. And they wanted more of what the conversation could be or would be around mental health. That's really interesting. So you had been struggling for a while and just not reaching out to the people around you to let them know, like, you know, something's going on with me. Literally. I, cause I thought I'm like, maybe everybody just goes through this. I didn't talk about it in my home. I didn't have a reference point for it. So I just thought this was something I know I felt a little bit off, but I honestly thought that everybody went through this at some point in their lives, which a lot of people do. I just thought it was just a normal part of being a human being. Obviously in the film, you're documenting your struggles with depression and putting yourself out there can be really scary. We just talked about you not feeling comfortable enough to even tell anyone, but you made this video and just put it on the internet, obviously to just share with your friends and family. But what was the process like of making it? And I think making the decision to make it instead of sitting down with your family and your friends to explain what had been going on with you. Walk me through the thought process behind that and the making of it. Absolutely. So it's not a funny story. I guess it's a funny story. I The intention <laughs> was never for it to be a mental health film. When I first started recording and documenting this footage, the intention was for it to be a show-off film to my ex. Like, this is all of the great stuff that I'm doing after you screwed me over. I was documenting spaces and places I was in. I remember I shot my first artist for South by Southwest. I was filming a lot. I had a lot of traction within my career. And at the end of the year, I wanted to just release this one year of me knowing I had depression, but still combating that with my art. And then also the pettiness of it all. And then once I watched the footage, I was like, you know what? Why am I going to like waste my time on trying to make somebody feel a certain way? I can use the same exact footage to tell a stronger and better and bigger story. So literally... 
three days before it was released, I completely deleted all the voiceovers. I redid all of the voiceovers on the video. And I said, you know what? While I was at South by Southwest, I had an anxiety attack backstage. You know, while I was doing this, I wasn't feeling my best. So I just switched the narrative a bit and I'm so happy that I did. But it was honestly not until the last second. And it was my gut that told me, just do this. Tell a bigger story. I feel like it'll have a bigger impact. And I thought everybody would hate me for it. I thought people would think I was weird and I want to hang out with me. Like, oh, she's depressed. But come to find out, we all are. <laughs> all the girls are. So <laughs> it ended up working for good. And I'm happy I didn't sit down with my family because I feel like that would have been harder for me to describe my feelings. I do it through film. I do it through photography. And I feel like I do it pretty well. At that time, I didn't have a good way with words with my mental health. And mm -hmm. it might have been a really hard conversation to have in person. Yeah. And how has making that film changed the way that you approach your own mental health and now conversations around it? Because obviously you've had to get better at talking about it, right? Yes. <laughs> I <laughs> I remember like I released the film December 2016 and then SJC Blossom in early 2017 and things picked up really quickly and I was known as this professional in the mental health field. So I had to quickly... <laughs> ensure that what I was saying or what I was putting out there, people could pick up and it was factual. So I had to learn. I learned a lot on the fly, but I learned a lot from like other people. Like Chrissy, what's your experience with this? How do you get through these times? How do you get through a breakup? How do you get through friendship breakups? Like I had to learn through my community. I feel like that's the best way is through that type of storytelling. So it was hard, but I learned really quickly and I'm still continuously learning about the mental health conversation. I really loved you documented your father's reaction in the film and how did that change your relationship with him or your parents in general? My dad, that's, that's the homie. Um, <laughs> OG from the Bronx. Shout out to my dad. He is, we're very close. We're very similar out of both my parents. We're the most similar. And he said, I've always noticed little things. And my mom didn't talk to me about mental health. I, it's him and two brothers. Like we never talked about mental health. So he just thought, you're just going through something or maybe this is a puberty thing or maybe this is a breakup or something she doesn't want to talk about. So mm -hmm. with him, he had this like aha moment, like that's what it was. And he didn't say it directly, but I know he felt kind of badly not knowing or not being able to like support me through it. But I had to like reassure him like, son, I didn't know what I was doing either. We were both in the same boat. I was right. figuring it out as well. But with him, it was really like, what can I do now? How can I be there for you now? How can I do better? And I still have to like sometimes slide in like, dad, you can't say that. Like, that's not the right terminology. You can't just drop that word. It's a learning process. With my mom, on the other hand, she had really bad postpartum depression, depression my mm -hmm. entire life. And as I started learning about my experiences with depression, I was able to like have more compassion for her experiences as a mom and things that I would get mad at her for. I was like holding grudges for from my childhood. I had to really mm -hmm. say like she is was sick and I didn't see it as that. I just saw it as other things and felt it as other things. So now that I know more, I'm able to have the strongest relationship I've ever had with my mom. That's amazing. Yeah, I can definitely relate. I think, as we know, within the Black community, talking about mental health is not prioritized. A lot of families don't. And I had my first panic attack when I was in middle school. I was around 11, 12 years old. And like my parents are from Jamaica. They definitely don't talk about mental health there. And so my parents were definitely confused about what was going on with me. And I think feeling helpless, they couldn't really do much to help me, but they made the right decisions. They put me in therapy and it's been a very long journey. But now since I've been living with my parents the last few years, it's really interesting to see how they try to like tune into me and like pick up on things. And there's many times where like, listen, I spend a lot of time in bed normally. I just love being in bed, but there are 
times where my dad will like come into my room and he's like, are you okay? Like, are you sure? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I'm just, I'm tired. Like, I just, just want to like veg out and like binge watch a show. I'm not depressed. I'm okay. <laughs> but like, I appreciate that they are willing to just stop for a moment and be like, Hey, are you okay? Like, I just want to check in with you. And that means a lot. Yeah. Sometimes you just need that. You just want somebody to acknowledge that you aren't okay. And that I was speaking about this recently, the feeling of being seen is mm-hmm. so powerful because we feel like things go by so fast. Social media is so quick. It's just endless scrolls. But just to have somebody take a moment out and say like, are you good? And like genuinely mean it and want to hear your answer. That is so powerful. Shout out to you. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so now in addition to open and honest conversations, I know that education is extremely important to you. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that beginning mental health education early in a child's life can have? Because of course you are a mother. I'm a mother now. It is so important. I'm always like, why aren't we talking about this stuff? In my house, we don't do baby talk. We don't do nicknames for body parts. We tell it like it is because that's Mm -hmm. how the real world functions. And you're going to just have to do a lot of unlearning when you teach that way. But now I'm actually seeing the benefits of teaching my child about mental health at an early age. So I can go from my specific examples my son, I, I like, we speak to each other about emotions when he was one or nonverbal at the time, non one, two. I would say this, what's your mad face? What's your happy face? What's your sad face? And sometimes his sad face looks like a happy face. You know what I mean? And it's like, yes, mommy's tired, but I'm putting on a smiley face or you're sad right now, but you have on a happy face, but we can still get through this just to show mm-hmm. him like there's no one look for mental health. And also defining your emotions is like really important. And yesterday I told him he couldn't watch some silly show and (laughs) he like started crying and I was like, what's going on? He's like, mom, you're making me so, 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 so sad right now. I just want five minutes of TV and I won't be sad anymore. But the fact I was like, okay, dude. But the fact that he's able to just say, I'm sad. Like you made me feel sad. This is why I feel sad. And then coming up with his own solution. I'm like, that's beautiful. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, go watch five minutes. You're chill. We'll do a pinky promise after the five minutes. We'll go upstairs and get ready for bed. But it shows like it just opens up that communication where your child doesn't feel afraid to talk about their feelings. And it leaves that space for even if you don't have the answer, your child can come to you and like together you both can figure it out. So they know that you're someone that they can find the answer with and you're part of their solution. So I think just like you're teaching them everything else about themselves, their livelihood, their physical wellness. Why not tap into mental wellness? It's a part of everybody's life. Absolutely. And I'm sure you also feel a sense of extra responsibility because you are raising a boy and we know how this world works. And a lot of boys today, we're not socialized to talk about feelings outside of like, I'm happy or I'm angry. Yep, exactly. It's definitely like, I'm, I'm saying things, you know, we, we've dated Chrissy, so we've seen things <laughs> that we may not have liked or things that were like, I can just tell exactly what happened to you or like what didn't happen with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) And not saying that those experiences lead how I parent, but I have like a lot of great male friends and support systems and things. So I'm literally just trying to build the best human that I can be and letting him make his own decisions to make great decisions on his own. So I just want to give him all of the tools that I can possibly equip him with. And any child that is around me with, if you're in my house, if he's having like a slumber party, it's like we have open talks. If he wants to cry, you get a hug. You know what I mean? It's not like there's no yelling or any of that. So I'm trying to like throughout my entire family unlearn and like remove all of those things that they were taught because you can do it in your own household, but say a cousin or auntie's watching them, that has to just transcend throughout the entire family line. So if you are a parent or someone who is around young children and wants to start the conversation, start it with you, but also hold others accountable to continuing that conversation with that child or within the family. 
Absolutely. And as I mentioned before, my parents are Jamaican. I know you're also first generation Caribbean. What's your background? My mom's from St. Kitts. So we're conditioned. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And obviously culture has a huge impact on how we are raised and how we approach mental health, of course. And I would love to hear more about the impact that the lack of conversation around mental health in your home had on you and why is it now so important to break that stigma that can surround mental health? It's so important to have the conversations within the home. Most conversations or most impactful conversations start in the home. And it also, it just helps relieve the shame around mental health issues because you feel so out of place. You can wake up one day and feel like you're on 10. You could perform it at the Madison Square Garden. And then you can wake up the next day and feel like, I don't even want to be here anymore. And that's such a large scale. Mm -hmm. But if you have the terminology, if you have a space where you know you're open and you can be honest and your mom isn't going to yell at you or tell you to pray it off or Mm -hmm. give you toxic positivity to like, oh, it's going to, just tomorrow's going to be a new day. Like, just take a nap. Or did you go out for a walk today? Like, those are good tips. But sometimes you need that familial support and you need to know that your tribe has you 100,000%. And Including those conversations in the home, I just feel like it just helps the next generation. It eases conversation for the next generation to be greater, to be stronger within their mental health and to also take action when they see someone else, maybe someone else's mental health is not up to par or just needs a little bit of like more support or eyes on it. Of course, finding a community can be such a powerful factor in a person's mental health journey. I feel like you explored that also in your film. I love that piece at the end where your friend was like talking about how she has your back and she was kind of like, if they fuck with you, like they fuck with me. Like she just really like had your back and that piece just like really made me smile. I loved it. So where have you found community in your life and how has it impacted your mental health journey? I found community definitely online. I was a big girl on Tumblr and a Mm. lot of those people now I'm still cool with. We still party together. We still hang out. But my like largest community, I think definitely comes from my best friends. And it's actually funny. None of my best friends live in the same city as me. They're all, we're kind of all spread across. So it's kind of nice. We do like pen pal thing. We write each other actual letters and notes and send each other gifts and cards. You know, we try to keep it really old school and intimate. And this year we're planning a BFF trip. Finally, all of us getting together for this year. But I find my tribe is within my friend group. I have a really small group of friends. And Mm -hmm. also within the Sad Girls Club community, I'm still very much introverted and very shy and like (laughs) this all feels very all new to me. So I don't put myself out there as much as I kind of want to, but my tribe definitely comes from my small friend group. I have my family now knows like I'm the depressed one in the family. So I have like everybody in the family now comes to me with their problems and issues, but that's great because I'm like, we're a lot closer. We've removed all of the like, hi, how are you? What's How's work? Okay, cool. Like all of that, just, I don't know, the pleasantries, we get into like deep conversation. So within my family, my cousins, my siblings are really close and my really small, small friend group. And of course the Sad Girls Club community, they hold me down every day. Friends are so important that you can really talk to. And I think for a lot of us that struggle, we really do find that it's best to like keep a small group and you have just like a handful of people that you know you can talk to when things are really, really bad. Absolutely. And having that like core group, you know, you can just lean on them and they they got your back and you got theirs. And I think that comes with age, right? That you learn that it's not about having a million and one friends. And we can also have friends for different purposes. But I think, yeah, in those times where you're really going through it and you know you just need someone to lean on who's not going to be judgmental and who's just going to really be able to hold space for you, it usually ends up just being a handful of people. 
Do you have a big friend group, Chrissy? No. I mean, growing up, I was always that person that I had a core friend group, but then I still liked to, I was kind of like a butterfly. I still liked to interact with other groups and I would have a friend over here and another friend over here. And I feel like that's kind of how I've always been throughout my life. But yeah, like my very best friend is a therapist. So that's also amazing because I know on the days when I don't have therapy, I can always go to her for help. (laughs) Although I try not to obviously lean on her too much because she does have a full client roster, but it's really, really comforting to know that, yeah, we just both have each other's backs at all times. It's a game changer for real. Yeah. And now let's talk a bit about social media because obviously for better or worse, We live in a social media era. How do you approach and use social media in your life while not letting it negatively impact your mental health? I feel like every week I have a different relationship with social media. And this week I'm off. (laughs) I, I feel like with anything, moderation is key. And understanding that we control what we put on social media. Like Instagram isn't putting posts out for us. Like we are in full control of what we put out into the world. And I try to be very intentional with how I use it and also how I receive it. So if that comes down to like unfollowing people, brands that don't align with me anymore, even if I Mm -hmm. am working with them, it's just sometimes like I don't want to see certain imagery. Sometimes I'm having a day where I am looking like a busted mom and (laughs) I just dropped my son off at school and I'm like, I don't want to see these images right now. So I'm very big on like the mute function. I don't Mm -hmm. really block too much. I've also learned to limit the comments on my own page to people who are just following me because I only want my community to like, if you want to follow me, then you can comment. But if you just want to like, throw shade or be weird, then you can stay on the outside. So I use like the tools that that. are provided. Yeah, exactly. I use the tools in the app to like make sure that I'm using it in the best way. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do take a lot of social media breaks more than I think people think, but I'm off of social media on Sundays. I don't use it after 10 p.m. I don't use it before 11 a.m. Wow. Boundaries. I got the little timer on TikTok now because I was bugging on TikTok for hours. And I'm like, girl, let's put this timer on here. So I have an hour and a half a day on TikTok. But that's where I learn a lot of like my mom things, like tricks and hacks and like recipes and stuff. So I'm on there. And I love that TikTok for me is a place of joy. My For You page is actually very vibrant and it's giving cottage cottage upstate with like, you know, (laughs) prairie core. Um, So it gives me everything that I need. So I like that the algorithm on TikTok feeds me and nourishes me. Sometimes with Instagram, I feel like I'm being sold to, sold a dream or sold an experience. And that can be hard. So I just limit my time more on the platforms that I have to use to like make a living and work and communicate with my community. Yeah, I think it can definitely be really tricky for a lot of us whose jobs depend on social media and finding that balance can sometimes be really tough because you do get sucked into these platforms and you're like, it's my job. And then you're like, but am I taking it a bit too far? Like that's definitely (laughs) how I feel sometimes. (laughs) Do you ever feel bad? I don't, this might be a, a me thing, but if you have something to do on social media, and people have texted you and you're like, okay, let me just do this post on social media, but I'm still like off of my phone. Do you ever feel bad for not responding to the people who are like either texted you or called you or emailed you? Or you're like, I don't, I really don't. I'm not saying that. I, I do think we live in this world where everyone expects that we are going to respond to them immediately, whether that's text, email, like everything. And so I avoid responding to text messages sometimes. I really do. <laughs> like sometimes you're better off. You could probably get easier access to me on Instagram DM because I'm always <laughs> on Instagram. And I honestly, I turn all my notifications off on all my apps after watching that Netflix documentary. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Because again, like that's one of the tricks they use to pull you in and to make you feel like you need to be constantly responding yep. because up, oh, you got this text up, oh, you got this email up, oh, you got this DM. So I think turning off the notifications really, really releases you from feeling that responsibility. But yeah, I know sometimes it can still be annoying. And I call friends out for it all the time. Like, oh, I texted you, but you're, you know, you're responding to my <laughs> DM or you just sent me this meme. <laughs> so I don't know. I think with your real people, we can give each other some grace yeah. when it comes to things like that. It's not personal. Sometimes I just, maybe you ask me a question and I don't have an answer for you yet, but I'm still going to post this astrology meme right. on my stories. <laughs> there we go. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. (laughs) I know. I think in general, I try not to make myself feel guilt around social media as well, because I do think the narrative the last several years has obviously shifted to how much social media impacts our mental health and it's bad and it's this. And I feel like I use it in a pretty productive way that And again, like, as you said, like I clean out who I'm following constantly. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the digital world that I've crafted for myself isn't harmful for me in any way. So I go there for inspiration. I go there to connect with people. And I'm someone who I really like connecting with the people that follow me with friends constantly. And so I don't want to be in this mindset where I'm constantly making myself feel guilty for being on there because then that doesn't really help you either. I think it's about like, how can you sort of shift your mindset of before I get on social media, let me make sure that I've meditated. Let me make sure that I've read a little bit or like gotten some things off the to-do list before I go dive into an endless (laughs) scroll situation. Because I think that the guilt isn't really helpful and it doesn't necessarily stop you from doing what you want to (laughs) do. Right? It's like telling the child, don't put your hand on the hot stove, but Mm -hmm. you're going to do it anyway and get burnt. I like that. And (laughs) the way you phrase it, it's kind of like social media is the dessert. Did you eat your dinner? Did you have an appetizer? Did you drink your water? Uh, Like, what did you do? We can't just have dessert before dinner. So make sure you're taking care of everything else. I like that. Okay. And I think for me, because I'm pretty active on stories, I would say the last like few months, I've tried to release myself from feeling like I need to post on stories every single day, Mm -hmm. especially on the days where I'm like, I really need to get work done. Like I actually wish that I could be one of those creators who like your entire job is just to like create on these platforms. But unfortunately that's not my job. Like I have a newsletter, I write, I do consulting work. I have a lot of other things going on. And I think especially when I'm just in the house working and I'm posting on stories, I'm like, I'm not really making any content that's actually interesting anyway. It's just like, hey, here's me in my bed working. (laughs) So I'm like, why don't I release myself from feeling like I need to update everyone about every minute of this day because I really just need to knock off this to-do list. Yes, yes. And maybe tomorrow when I have less to do, I can make more interesting content for people. Literally. And we put that pressure on ourselves. Like, no one's saying you have to post on post stories every single day. We just feel that. We feel that need to share everything, every part of our lives every day. And <laughs> it's so I feel like we're a bit more like seasoned in like the social media feel. Like we grew up without it and then with it. But exactly. I really hope the youth are really taking the time to develop some type of moderation for their social media use because it is very addictive. It's the most addictive thing I feel more than coffee. <laughs> it's I, I don't know. Literally, it's like on the new list of drugs. It's like alcohol, drugs, coffee, 
social media, social media, literally. Obviously we talked a little bit about the work that you do, but let's talk about how that also affects your mental health journey. And like, how do you approach taking care of your mental health and dealing with stress that you have in your career? And you also have a child. So are you someone who is also like striving for this work life balance that we always hear about? The myth of the work life balance. No, (laughs) I, I do feel like there are seasons like right now is our busy season because it's mental health awareness month this month and everything leading up to this month is just preparation for this month. And I'm someone Mm -hmm. who very much likes to prepare and likes to work far out. So things are easy, but then Mm -hmm. there are other brands. I wish I was like that. Yeah. (laughs) There are some brands we work with that aren't like that. So like things come up at the last minute. So as much as possible, I try to plan and to save space and save time for just breathing room. But I think we've lost this idea of a lunch break during the pandemic because everything is digital. When I'm saying I'm taking a lunch break, (laughs) I tell my team, take a lunch break, take an hour and do not worry about anything sad girls club. And some people like, can you hop on the phone? I wanted to like, that's my lunch break. So just setting boundaries within my schedule for work, because like you, I do a bunch of projects. So you have to make sure you have a good project management. And that is something that I really struggle with or struggled with. I think this is the first year that I'm kind of getting, you know, I'm easing into it, but I'm always aware that this season, like March, April, May, June is pretty much like our busy season. And I can set time right after that for like a surprise and delight. So at the end of the season, I like I'll plan a vacation. I'm going to go to Europe this summer. So I have like the finish line is me going to Europe. I just have to get through this season and get through it in like a good headspace. And I also have to make sure that my headspace is not clogged with everyone else's issues or my work because I have a son that I have to pour into. So if I'm not hundred percent myself, I don't like the feeling of like, oh man, I yelled at him because I'm so frustrated with work or mm-hmm. I'm not playing with him enough. He's been asking me to play with this train set for like an hour. And I'm like in five minutes in five minutes. So when I realized that, and now that my son is very vocal because he knows his feelings, he'll tell me you haven't played with me or can you get off the phone and, and play with me? And I'm like, I got you. I've always wanted you to speak up for yourself and how you're speaking up for yourself. And I can't fault you for it. So he will let me know. Like he some, has sometimes like grab my phone if I'm texting, like, okay, it's, it's time. like, can you eat? Can we eat without the phone? Yes, Basil, let's put the phone in the next room. So he's like my little Pikachu. He follows me around. He holds me accountable. He makes sure I'm going where I need to go. That is like That's my North Star. And I feel like without him, my life would be chaos, honestly, <laughs> literally. <laughs> he helps keep you in check. He does. He keeps me way in check and he, he'll be very blind. He has this like stoic face. He's like, what, what are you going to, there's, there's, there's no answer, but yes, you know, <laughs> I love what you mentioned though about the lunch break, because that is so big for me too. It's like, I really like to take time to eat and like, I'm not someone who's like, oh, I'm going to work through lunch. No, Mm -hmm. I live for food. So I'm like, (laughs) I have to take that break. I'm like, I like to eat at 12 on the dot. And so I'm always going to make sure that I do that. But, you know, I used to work in a corporate office and everyone was Shoveling their salads into their mouths while writing an email. And that was just so normalized. And even though we did have the freedom to like go out and have lunch if we wanted to, but you just wouldn't because you were so used to, well, I'm multitasking, you know, I can still get a lot done. But that time you spend away, you come back so much more refreshed. And you got that exactly. good food in your stomach. I love to, I, was, I remember I worked corporate too. And everyone would order their food. I'm like, you're not going to go for a walk and go grab. You, you want to be right. around us all day. <laughs> I need to take a right. step out and breathe and like see the streets. And I don't know, gain some inspiration while I'm out on my lunch break. That's another thing. You gain inspiration and you recharge during those breaks. 
Absolutely. And now let's also talk about like creative outlet. Obviously you're a filmmaker. And so I assume that's probably your favorite way to create and be artistically expressive. And there's so many benefits to that, right? On one's mental health and peace. And are there any other hobbies or passions that help you clear your mind and find balance? Yes. I got into during the pandemic, I got into rug making, like punch needle rug making. Whoa. So it's like my secret hidden little, I don't know. I like workshop a bunch. And I, whenever I visit a friend, I like see their home for the first time or if they just got new furniture, I'll go and scope it out and then I'll make them like a rug that matches the decor or I'll make them like a hanging oh mirror God. rug. How so it's nice. like my little way of like, one, if I'm punch needling, I can't be on my phone. I can't do anything mm. else. I can still be right. present with Basil and we can sit down, watch a movie, mm-hmm. but it also takes me out of my mind and I can directly see, not my impact, but I can see my results right in front of my face. With a right. lot of things we do, you have to wait. Oh, everything is like kind of on hush or you, the release date is a month away. But with this, mm-hmm. I can see it right in front of my face. I just threaded a hundred punches of yellow thread and it's right in front of me. So I love that. Filmmaking for sure is my other main thing. And then this is Basil and I, Basil's my son. This is our season where we go outside and we pick flowers and then we come home and we create bouquets and we put them around the house. He loves it. So we have a couple elderly women on our street. So we'll make bouquets for them and we'll deliver them because I want to like teach him, you know, it's good to give people flowers. It's good to give like people that you just enjoy their company and they like right. eat Doesn't need to be for an occasion. Yeah. Or someone's birthday, like just give flowers or pick flowers for yourself. So sometimes we'll pick them and I'm like, this is for you, Basil. Like you deserve this. And that just gives us time to just be outside. And I, I sometimes forget that outside exists for enjoyment, not just for going to an event or, you know, going, going out for work things. I like need to just take time to enjoy nature and I can get only so much nature in Brooklyn, but I live by a really beautiful park where I can just tap in and like tap out for a second as well. Absolutely. And also like, let's talk about self-care. Like I'm sure that also sort of like plays into it, but how does self-care I think also play into your mental health journey and how you take care of yourself? Self-care is number one. I have a few different routines that I do or things that I do throughout the entire year. But the one thing that stays consistent is the skincare. The skincare does not fail every night. I don't care what kind of night it is. The 10-step routine is getting done. So that's (laughs) something where I know I'm doing, even if the day is trash, I've done my skincare routine twice a day and I'm fine. Like I'm good. If I can do this, I'm good. Because there was a time where I didn't even want to brush my teeth or I didn't even want to get out of bed and wouldn't even wash my face for days. So I tell myself like, if I can do my skincare routine, I'm making headway. And there are other couple things that I kind of incorporate in my toolkit throughout the year. Winter, there's a lot more of just like meditation and like really just processing the entire year and like, you know, really just being appreciative and grateful and, and showing that gratitude and putting that out there into the world because it's really easy to forget So it's little things that I do depending on the season, but the skincare routine, she never fails. Always makes you feel good. Always. Obviously, as a woman of color, we experience prejudice, discrimination, marginalization is just very prevalent in our lives. It's just how it works. So how have negative experiences impacted your mental health and how do you rise up? Because I think a lot of people don't realize that like racism truly, truly affects our mental health. Mm -hmm. It is stressful and it is so deep inside of our body. Yes, absolutely. And this was something that I like struggle with in different aspects of it because I'm an activist. So people incorporate activists as like what they see in their mind. And during the Black Lives Matter protest, I remember I would get questions like, why aren't you out there? 
You know what I mean? And I remember I protested during the Eric Gardner after that killing and mm-hmm. it messed me up bad. Like it was very, very bad for my mental health. And I told myself there's other ways for me to fight. Other people can fight like this, but I, I can fight in a better way or a different way. Mm-hmm. So I know protesting isn't for me, but I felt the pressure. And I'm like, it's literally a pandemic. My son was like one year, like he just turned one. And I was feeling this pressure to go outside and fight this battle. And mentally that just had me questioning a lot of things. But then I was like, girl, like you can only do so much. You can do what you can do. And that's the way that you enter this conversation. And my way is like holding brands accountable and holding people accountable and making sure that whatever we're doing, whether it's like myself or if there's any conversations that need to be had, I didn't want to be the token in the space or like your quote for the day. So I was like, that's my way of saying like, no, you know, I'm not going to be a black square. I'm not going to be a black square in anybody's life or within anybody's company. So it does, it affected me in many ways. And during the pandemic, that was when we saw our community needed us like the most that I've ever seen in the past six years. So mm-hmm. we paused because I was like, I don't know. It's, I don't want to just put things out there because everyone else is. I don't want to post just to post. Like, what am I actually saying? And instead, I was like, I'm going to stay off social media for a while and develop a program around people feeling lonely, people feeling isolated, not having anybody to talk to. And that was my contribution to the conversation. But it just breaks my heart because I am raising a Black son. And it just breaks my heart at the lack of movement and I was really excited about the momentum that I thought we had. And I wish we had that same kind of like, I don't know, it felt like the 70s two years ago where people were just like, I'm going outside. I don't care. It was very righteous. We we're all very together. And yes. we're not saying all just like black people, but it seemed like we were all together. And right. now that trend kind of has ended. But I want that back. Yes. Like I want that old thing back. I want that feeling back where we all felt like we were fighting the same fight because it's not just our fight to fight. Absolutely is not. Although people (laughs) would lead us to believe otherwise. But yeah, and I totally relate to what you said about protesting. Like, I think it's energetically, it is a lot to be around that many people and to feel everyone's pain and frustration and all of those feelings. It can be extremely overwhelming. And I really believe like everyone has their own personal power in which they can create change. Absolutely. And we don't all have to be doing things the same way. So as you said, it's like you have a nonprofit, you have so many avenues of ways that you can help people. That's different from the way that I might help people or someone else. And so not being out in the streets, it's okay. It's again, it's like one of those things where I think also we have to give ourselves grace. We can't be everywhere Mm -hmm. and everything to everyone. We can't, we won't make things happen then. That is so true. And it's like, we have to divide and conquer. That's the best way. When I, when I thought about it and I was like sad about it, I was like, literally I am doing what I can in the space that I feel like I'm an expert in. You know what I mean? If all the experts did something within their spaces, we will progress and we'll be further. And also We're not the ones that's like (laughs) doing all the bad stuff really either. We're not the reason why we're here, you know? So it has to be a collective fight. And it really does. And we just have to find a way to like take care of our people and take care of ourselves. 1000%. Elise, this has been such an amazing conversation. But before I let you go, I would love to hear like, what's a piece of advice that you wish you could give your younger self when you were struggling or something that you want the audience to take away from the conversation today? I would say on just like a general advice, 
always trust your gut. If your gut is telling you to go somewhere, something isn't right, something doesn't feel right, go do what you have to do to feel 100%, whether it's a physical thing, a mental thing, go with your gut. If something feels off, see what the next step needs to be for you and listen to your stomach. The second part is understand that nobody has things figured out, no matter what it looks like, how it looks, how it feels online. Everyone's story is unique and we're all living in a post-pandemic world. And it's probably the first one that anyone that we know has lived in. So no one has it figured out, even if it looks like they do, no one has it figured out. And Mm -hmm. be like kind to yourself. Like honestly, give yourself grace. As you said before, Chrissy, grace is what we need more of for sure. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I want to say a big thank you to Elise for joining us on the show today and sharing her story. And remember, we're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. For more information, visit Maybelline.com slash Brave Together. And don't forget to make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York. Maybelline.